What's up, everyone? I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Best Podcast. You know, around this time of year, I always get very sentimental, thinking back to my favorite summer memories from childhood, whether that's driving cross-country with my entire family to visit Wally World, or finding an alien in my backyard that just loves Reese's Pieces, or that awkward time I was a police chief in New England and that shark killed a bunch of people, which makes me realize, you know, a lot of my childhood memories are actually just plots from my favorite movies. But I regret nothing, because I love a good blockbuster, obviously. So I called up three members of Thrillist Entertainment team to talk about the best blockbuster from each decade, how to define the genre of the summer blockbuster in general, and the future of the summer blockbuster, specifically when we'll actually get to see Christopher Nolan's new movie, Tenet, and if that will indeed be in a movie theater. Uh, you know what? That's enough setup. Let's jump right into our call. Here we go. Okay, we are here with Dan Jackson, senior staff writer. How are you today, Dan? I'm doing great. Awesome. Esther Zuckerman, fellow senior staff writer. Esther, how are you? I'm good. You know, solid. <laughs> exactly. And my close personal friend, entertainment director, I think, uh, Mr. John Sellers. John, how are you? Things are great, Will. <laughs> <laughs> First off, do you remember the first time you experienced a summer blockbuster? I personally remember seeing Independence Day on, I guess it was July 3rd um, when it came out. I saw it the first night it came out in 1996. I was about six or seven. I remember my dad taking me. I remember, you know, waiting to see it. It seemed like all summer and then talking about it with all my friends at the beach the day after. Do you guys, John, do you have a similar experience of the first time you saw a blockbuster? Um, I assume we're not talking about the stores. No. Video. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, how no. I remember. You, how, how much were you like waiting to make that joke, John? <laughs> I just wanted to be the first person to make that joke. Okay. I just was wondering if that was, you were just like sitting on that and you were just like, re- have it, had that ready to go. I knew that somebody would make it. I just wanted to be the person to do it. That was my entire strategy. I was taken to see the movie Jaws when I was four years old. Wow. Why? Four? My dad uh, thought it was a great idea. <laughs> Do you remember I spent, seeing it? I probably spent half of the, the entire movie in the lobby. And I, I was, my, I, the thing I remember the most is whenever the, whenever the music came on after the first time, I realized that, it, that music equals death mm-hmm. <laughs> or sharky. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm, I'm lobbying. I'm going to the lobby, which also brings up the fact that I was, you know, this was a long time ago, different, different uh, ways of raising children, but I was allowed to go to the lobby by myself. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a good time. It was a good time. It was very, it was very, uh, I, I could not go into the water for many years after that. I mean, four is pretty early for Jaws or, you know, frankly, almost any movie. Uh, Esther, do you have an experience uh, like either, either John's or I's? Well, I was going to say that, like, you know, looking through, going back, looking through, I my first sort of memory of a set going to summer blockbuster was actually when I was four um, and seeing The Lion King. Um, so I think, you know, in childhood for many for I, I was like a scaredy cat kid in childhood mm-hmm. so like I was not going to see Independence Day like so I you know I remember going to see like 
Lion King, Mulan, Hercules, until we get into like the 2000s, like a lot of the like 90s blockbusters I saw, like I saw after the fact, because I was like, terrified of anything. I was like a terrified child. Like most. Dan, did you see, did you experience an age appropriate blockbuster for your first time? Well, it's funny. My, I think my first real blockbuster memory is in a movie I was not allowed to see. So I think it's like, it, it, it's like when I think of blockbusters, I think of like a sort of like resentment because like I had two older brothers and I remember my older brother going with my dad to see Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very young. So like I, I probably had better parents than John's who wouldn't take me to the movie. <laughs> but like I remember when they, my brother came back with like the big Coke that had like a dinosaur on there or something, you know, and just kind of talking about it. And I remember he'd also read the book that summer sort of as like a prerequisite to going to see the movie. Sure. And I just remember being so like jealous and being like, Oh, like one day, like I'm going to get to go see the blockbuster or whatever. I was like, oh, I want, I want to be a part of this, but uh, I, I wasn't allowed to be at that point. <laughs> So half of us have great memories of seeing blockbusters. The other half, um, you know, it kind of seems like the experience scarred us for life, which is tough. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now, what's interesting is I had always thought the term blockbuster referred to people lining up around the block to see, you know, whatever big movie was coming out. That's actually not where it's from. Do any of you know where the term blockbuster originally came from? I actually do not. I, I, I think I do. But uh, I think I, I do as well. I think I, I don't want to ruin your moment, Will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not my moment. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, John, what do you think? Um, I believe it, it, it actually is about, um, you know, you associate, you don't associate blockbusters with box office bombs necessarily, but I believe it does have to do with an actual bomb. Yeah, that's what my, Dan, did, did, your, um, did your outside research also confirm that? Yeah, this is what Wikipedia told me as well. I don't know if that's your source. That was my source. No, I went. I went a step further, and I checked the source from Wikipedia. That, uh, you know, okay. uh, but yeah. So, so essentially, from my understanding, it's it's a term from World War II to describe artillery. Um, you know, if something was a blockbuster, it literally blew up an entire block, and then it kind of entered the cultural lexicon as something big and explosive. And film critics have used it, you know, since. Since the early 40s, um, I think it referenced Mission to Moscow as something that critics called as explosive as a blockbuster. But in earnest, the blockbuster era, as John kind of, as John kind of touched upon, didn't really come about until a movie in 1975 about a shark. Let me check my notes. It's called Jaws. And Jaws was the first feature film to break $235 million in domestic returns and also Paramount. Uh, the studio that released it spent almost $2 million on marketing. It had a massive cultural impact. Uh, using Jaws as the jumping off point, Esther, how would you classify a summer blockbuster as we understand it? Okay, I think we're going to have like maybe a fight about this or not a fight, just like a discussion because like I do think it is sort of hard. Stuff has changed so much that over the years that I think it is sort of hard to define a blockbuster because if you just define a blockbuster by like, you know, I think on Wikipedia and as we said before, like hugely financially successful mm-hmm. and like big and spectacular, you know, the Spielberg era sort of burst the blockbuster Spielberg Lucas like with Jaws and Star Wars and you would look at and you would look and define it if you need both of those parts for a blockbuster to exist it would have to be something that is sort of technically wondrous um you know really exciting you know 
big effects, exciting visually, but then also like hugely financially successful. And when you sort of start digging through like what people classify as a summer blockbuster, it gets a little confusing because you have stuff like, you know, you look at certain lists and you have stuff like, say, Blade Runner, a movie that like would sort of fall into the earlier category and it certainly now has a ton of fans but like it wasn't a financial success I think the other thing that we're probably gonna like (laughs) we might argue about is like where comedy has been into this because Mm. like summer has like when the studio comedy was a thing like studio comedies were hugely successful in the summer and I often associate like one subsection of the summer blockbuster is like the blockbuster comedy like I think of Bridesmaids as a summer blockbuster, like a movie that came out like in, in the summer that dominated conversation and the box office for a certain amount of time. But certainly, obviously, that's not like the same type of summer blockbuster as Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark or Star Wars, you know? Yeah, I think okay. so, there's a lot to a lot to dig into there. There is, but I, I, I know <laughs> I, I think that's great. And I actually I really I do agree with you there because I think that um I don't think that blockbusters have to fit into like this action movie niche. I think, you know, you mentioned Bridesmaid. I think um, we, we'll probably talk about this, but you think about, uh, in my mind, some of the biggest hits of the summer um, in the 90s and the 2000s were comedies. I mean, you think about Austin Powers, The Hangover, Wedding Crashers, movies like that. I feel like they are comedies, but in my mind, summer blockbusters have to have this sense of bigness. I know it's a stupid way to say it, but I feel like it has to have this hype. It has to have stars it has to make a cultural impact i mean sellers you were talking about unpacking this what do you think about everything that we've said so far yeah i think a lot of it has to do with the intention behind it mm-hmm. um you know uh it's, when i think of the defining characteristics of these things i mean this is like different for everybody but to me it's like you know uh yes there are explosions in 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 some of the in some of the types of blockbusters that are associated with it but there are also a lot of quips, whether in, it just seems like there's always one-liners um, yes. and things that, you know, that, that become things that people uh, quote uh, repeatedly. Um, but to me, it's like the intention behind these things is to kind of just be a huge, massive word of mouth uh, press grabber, you know, uh, selling a lot of popcorn is probably another way to look at it the difference between the blockbuster that might happen at a different time of year is that, you know, these, these are kind of more, the summer ones are uh, to me a little bit more like not family friendly, but just kind of like, you know, widely appealing generally. Sure. Yeah. Popcorn movies. That's what they call them. The only movies you eat popcorn at summer blockbusters. Um, Dan, besides from being films that you weren't allowed to see when you were younger, begrudgingly, um, what is your idea of a summer blockbuster? Yeah, I mean, it has something to do with the spectacle, basically, that's going to bring you into the theater. And that, you know, that can be in the form of comedy. That could be, you know, someone, you know, shitting themselves in the middle of the street and bikes <laughs> or something. Like, that's a form of spectacle. It creates these big communal moments everyone reacts to. Or, you know, obviously, like... Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, the, one other wrinkle to it is like, I feel like there are, you know, movies that are technically like kind of blockbustery because they're released in the summer, like something like Saving Private Ryan. Like, mm. I don't think anyone thinks of that as like a blockbuster, right? Yeah. Like, you kind of think of it as like a, a war movie, but I mean, it came out in July. It made a ton of money. It has action in it. It's like not really a, anyone's idea of a blockbuster, but it like sort of was, or, you know, Gladiator is kind of the same thing. Like, right. there's all these, 
There are movies like that that yeah. kind of take on uh, sort of these markers of being prestigious or they win awards when maybe they also have some blockbustery origins to them. So yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a flexible category. Yeah, that's actually a really good point about, I feel like block the summer blockbuster is almost like pretension free in a lot of ways. James Bond movies used to come out in the summer mm-hmm. by and large. And they were, you know, uh, that's a, to me, that's like a prime example of a summer blockbuster, um, you know, Jurassic Park, that, that type of thing. They might win awards, but they're not like designed necessarily to win, to win awards. I think also like as we look at, you know, the changing sort of box office dynamics, like especially now, like especially in the age of like, where basically every studio has to have this version of the Marvel movie in order to be like a financially viable studio, you have to have like a, you know, a billion dollar grocer. You're seeing like more and more of the things that would look like summer blockbusters, I think like spread out throughout the year, like the summer, the quote unquote summer movie season has moved up earlier and earlier, you know, because it it basically doesn't it almost doesn't exist anymore in a certain way because like now studios are just like staking claim to like any sort of spot where they can hang on to you know audiences for that long fewer people are you know people aren't going even before all of this people weren't going to the movies as much they might like choose one movie to see like in any sort of month time frame and like so I think the one of the sad things is the you know there are still things that can break through and like that feel like that sort of recapture this energy of the summer blockbuster but I, I think like the 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 sort of idea of it as established in the 80s and going through the 90s like feels like it just doesn't really exist quite anymore there's way more competition now for for people's yeah. time and attention and yeah. it's harder to it's hard to create like a big event movie than it used to be um that's right. why that's why there's so many um franchises and sequels because those are kind of self-perpetuating events and you know bringing back to uh post jaws post star wars the 80s, uh, often called the blockbuster era, uh, that's when blockbusters really solidified, took shape. I mean, just a, brief overview, just a brief overview before we get into our picks. I mean, you have things like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, the ba- uh, Tim Burton's original Batman, E.T., Top Gun, Aliens, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. These are really big movies with a lot of stars in them, with a lot of charm. Sellers, what is your favorite blockbuster from the 80s? I have to pick one. How can I possibly choose between the following movies? Empire Strikes Back, 1980. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 81. Um, you know, you had E.T. came out um, in the summer. You have Rocky Three. You had, um, you know, Mr. T. Come on, Clever Lane. Right. Um, you had Tron, uh, which was, you know, mind-blowing at the time. Um, you had, uh, you know, Return of the Jedi. You had Ghostbusters. You had... I mean, so many. Um, and the one that you missed is the one that I would pick, and that's Die Hard, which uh, came out at the end of the 80s, 80, 88, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, uh, it's just, it sets the template for my definition of basically a perfect movie. And what does that entail? <laughs> <laughs> um, quips and explosions, let's face it. <laughs> Esther, what about you? What's your exemplary 80s blockbuster? 
Okay, I'm gonna since like John mentioned all the major ones, um, <laughs> I'm gonna sort of like diverge a little and talk about like a summer movie trend, which I think falls into this weird blockbuster conversation where I think it like makes its return on the investment where like, I think you started to see a lot of this, especially after this movie came out of like smaller films that weren't initially that, you know, there no one really knew how well they would do, but they're sort of smaller comedies, romances that would come out in the summer and sort of gain steam. And I think like for me, you know, first of all, this movie, I feel like just represents summer and I'm going to be a real girl about this shit. Um, and uh, so I like Dirty Dancing in 1987. That movie so exemplifies like summer to me and just like it's sweaty, it's romantic, it's all about summer. Um, it's like a great soundtrack, you know, dominates, you know, becomes like the soundtrack obviously becomes like a huge blockbuster thing. Um, and I think like, I think you start to, you see a lot of those type of, you know, movies taking this chance of like, can I be, you know, can I like, especially sort of rom-coms and stuff like that. Like, can we become, you know, the sort of alternate viewing choice? So I'm going to say that I did another movie that, you know, just in terms of comedy that, was also very high thing that in the 80s was National Lampoon's Vacation, which is sort of like an, another alt pick um, yeah. for the 80s. That's where, I, that's where I'm going. Yeah, these are good because basically both of those movies that you mentioned are kind of backdoor blockbusters. They mm-hmm. weren't necessarily intended to be like these major, major movies at the time. They were just kind of like, they just kept building and building. Right. I don't know how well Vacation actually did, but it, you know, once, once you, it got on, once it get, got on like video, it was like, Every, everybody watched it, right? Vacation was the 10th highest grossing movie in 1983. So it's just so like $50. <laughs> <laughs> how, how few, how little money. A lot I mean, of yeah, I would say it was, it was, it was 61. No. Yeah, um, so good. it's not huge. I mean, and obviously nothing compared to Return of the Jedi, which is the highest grossing movie of 1983. But like also, I mean, so obviously I was not alive when, well, not obviously, I guess. Who knows? But like, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> we make no assumptions about yeah. anyone's age on yeah. the podcast. Right? I was not alive when Vacation came out, but like my parents tell me a story of like going to see Vacation at like you know in a, in a theater in New York, sitting in the balcony and like smoking pot and like laughing their asses off, and like that feels like a very summer movie experience to me, even though it's not something that I had. So like when I was looking back at you know when I was looking back at like 1983, I'm like yeah, you know, like that that. That that works. Yeah, it's it's interesting you said um, Dirty Dancing because a, a movie you know parsing the internet for some what are the best summer blockbusters of all time. A lot of places mention Grease, which I think came out in 1978. Which I love yeah. that movie. I had never considered it to be summer blockbuster, but it does fit a lot of their criteria, right? Uh, for a lot of reasons you mentioned uh, with Dirty Dancing, Dan. Uh, what do you think here? 1980s summer blockbusters. Yeah, not, 1980s. Um, you know. It's like, you know, we were talking about Jaws and Jurassic Park earlier, and obviously Steven Spielberg very associated with the blockbuster. But for the 80s, I'm going to have to go with a movie that I think is kind of like an interesting flip side to the Spielberg mythos or whatever, and mm-hmm. that's Back to the Future, which is directed by Robert Zemeckis, who's kind of like the sort of like more like kind of comedic and like satirical sort of like funhouse mirror version of Spielberg in a lot of ways. And I always think of, Back to the Future is just kind of like the best example of kind of like the slick, like 80s hybrid, you know, blockbuster movie where it's got 
science fiction. It's got some action. It's got comedy. It's like a teen movie. I mean, it's just, do, it's doing so much, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. you know, it's about the fifties and it's about yuppies and it's about the eighties and, you know, and it's just, it's just packed with like little details, but it's also just very fun, very rewatchable. And then also obviously has like two pretty good sequels. Um, yeah. So like, I don't know, to me, it kind of epitomizes the ideal of that sort of slick, fun summer movie um event and that's i don't know that to me is probably my favorite of all those kind of like 80s blockbuster movies yeah absolutely i'm changing my pick (laughs) (laughs) i I, I have to my 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 future self just came back to warn me i have to pick back to the future oh i like that i mean it's the ultimate is it's the greatest time travel movie of all time um it's got everything uh it's also very Funny. Definitely. I mean, that's what it's good. That's part of it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a weird movie about going back in time and kissing your mom. You know, yeah. that's like, that's the whole premise. It's, it's very, like, Freudian and weird. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a strange movie. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the dream of uh, Reagan era America. Uh, Emma and I talked about that a little bit on the Mother's Day podcast. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. More blockbusters when we get back. So obviously, following the '80s or '90s, um, big overview: Speed, Jurassic Park, The Rock, ton of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, Independence Day, Godzilla, the one with the P Diddy song, um, the first Star Wars prequel. I'm seeing a lot of big action, big explosion, big stars. Maybe a little less charm than previous eras. Um, Dan, we kind of talked about the disaster movie renaissance in the '90s in a previous pod. How do you feel? Uh, this applies to blockbusters. What were blockbusters like in the nineties compared to the eighties? Yeah, I guess, I don't know if I had to like try to come up with some sort of like lame thesis for like the, the shift in the nineties blockbuster. It's that it's kind of the emergence of like the self-aware blockbuster. Right. I think again, like Jurassic park is kind of the epitome of this, especially when you compare it to like jaws, the original blockbuster, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's the same director, but Jurassic Park is literally about kind of like theme parks and like the marketing of science and technology and like consumerism. And, you know, it's, it's a movie that, you know, and even when you think about the way that monsters are introduced, it's like in Jurassic Park, you see the dinosaurs early on. You're supposed to be awed by the spectacle of it. Jaws, the sharks obviously hidden for the whole time. And uh, yeah, I think they just, they, in nineties, the blockbuster becomes a little bit more, glib a little bit more kind of like ironic there's a lot of like you know last action hero demolition man starship troopers men in black mm-hmm. these movies that kind of are you know not as uh you know not as earnest in certain ways you know they're a little bit more kind of playful and that can be good obviously starship troopers is hilarious and it's like works as like a satire and everything but um it can sometimes backfire and make the movies a little bit uh i don't know maybe not as fun for some people, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I have a, I, I really like the nineties blockbusters in general. So what would your pick be for your favorite nineties blockbuster? Um, mine would be uh Terminator two, uh judgment day. Excellent. That's, um, yeah. I mean, uh, James Cameron sort of expanding and streamlining the Terminator thing that he created in the eighties. And yeah, I mean, it's reflective of that same thing I was kind of talking about. It's just like the special effects are huge. You know, it's funnier. Arnold has some better one-liners, you know, it's, yeah. you know, and then you have all these kind of extra details like Edward Furlong and his public enemy shirt, you know, and you have, you know, the, the cop as villain sort of 
archetype that's you know really interesting which again expands on what's in the first terminator so i don't know terminator 2 is just one of those movies that like is so interesting to just kind of keep going back to and like back to the future a time travel movie so yes definitely also has um something that every blockbuster should have um i think it was the janitor who you know saw the two uh you know, saw the duplicate people and like looked at his drink being like, what's in this thing? Which is, you know, I think everyone should have that. Uh, John, what about you? 90s blockbusters. Speed. Speed. Speed is the ultimate summer movie. It was a blockbuster and it is really good. Um, and it holds up and it's also quippy. It has explosions. Um, it also has the most quotable line in my household, which is, I need a bib. Because <laughs> um, you you wear bibs, right? Right. That's... <laughs> my 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 infant wears bibs. Oh, okay. And I am frequently requesting them. And you eat a ton um, of lobster too, like before you had a kid. So that just it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, it also didn't introduce the world to Sandra Bullock, but it, it definitely it definitely came close. Mm-hmm. It's just a great movie all around, and. Uh, you know, what do you guys think about that movie? So better than Point Break? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Better than Point Break. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Are you kidding me? I don't think that's true. But... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I kind of prefer Point Break. I mean, I like Speed a lot. They're, they're both they're both good. But Crazy. I, I prefer The Matrix, too, honestly. Like, we're talking 90s Keanu movies. Yeah, well, The Matrix wasn't a summer movie. It was no. like, yeah, it was, it was adjacent. It was summer adjacent. But it was March, the March of ninety nine. Because that, that yeah. I I might have picked that. Um, if if it didn't, it was a little too early. Yeah. Um, but I think like cool. also that is evidence of you see the like you see this expansion of like you know the blockbuster and when stuff comes out and usually like I think it's interesting. I think like usually earlier in like the spring is when you're sort of like weirder stuff like the matrix like mm. you know at that point you didn't know they didn't know it's going to be like this massive hey you see sort of like weirder that more sci-fi stuff come out earlier in the year anyway yeah um yeah esther what do you think so a lot of i was gonna pick t2 too because yeah. like i do think that's like the perfect blockbuster but i i had a couple points that i wanted to make which was that 1997 ruled basically mm-hmm. um if you're looking at that summer blockbuster season with austin powers the first austin powers the fifth element which rules even though i we're not mentioning luke besson um because he is a bad person um yeah, yeah sorry but like <laughs> that movie does rock um my best friend's wedding in your rom-com field sure, sure. great weird, weird rom-com and men in black which i love um, so 97 was awesome. I think you also sort of see like other things that I want to identify if you're talking about the 90s, like you start to see like, I think you start from the very beginning of the, like of these summer movie seasons, you start to see like the model failing, I think in an interesting way, like, you know, you start to see like in 1990, you have something like Dick Tracy, which I just watched for the first time, which is like a weird fucking movie. So and like, weird. it's that was supposed to like and that's like an idea that was like let's follow batman with something that like you know let, let's let's do a comic book movie and it just and it flops upon release yeah. or you know you have my beloved in 1995 Waterworld, which like i 
wrote a big story <laughs> related to waterworldforsillis.com, um, you know, which is sort of like, is posed to be a blockbuster and just, and, you know, is actually did fine box office wise, you know, in, um, when, when it comes, like when you style down to it, but the, the narrative starts to become about like a blockbuster that, you know, this is supposed to be the big movie and it's, it is going over budget and, you know, people got too big for their britches. So I think it's interesting that you sort of start to see that. Um, in terms of my pick for like, I don't know, like, again, I was going to say Judgment Day in terms of a perfect example of a summer blockbuster, but I'm going to go for another like, you know, or comedy that I love that I do think like sort of is was a blockbuster in the sense that it was a sort of black store blockbuster, um, which is a league of their own, which yes. is a, another movie that like, <laughs> what do you mean? It's, I don't mean to, I don't mean to laugh, but that, I mean, that, I don't know if that was, it made a lot of money. I think this goes back to my intention thing. Okay. I don't think it was intended as a blockbuster. Right. It's a black store. Sort of like, yeah, but it's a it, black store blockbuster. Yeah, it is. Okay. It made a lot of money. It came out in the summer. Like it's a word of mouth hit that came out in the summer. Like you know, if yeah. we're talking about you know, got and Madonna in it. What it's got Madonna in it. It's got Rosie. you know, it's it's like and and like it is released strategically in the summer to be like you know, it's baseball season. We're talking about baseball. I guess my other pick and the '98, just because I think it doesn't get talked about enough. Mask of Zorro fucking rules. Okay, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. No, Mask of Zorro is great. Uh, one of the last great swashbuckling films, in my estimation. Uh, my pick would be, you know, you mentioned this, Esther. One of the many great blockbusters of 97, Men in Black, July 2nd, 1997. Uh, I, I remember, you know, it, it had the hype going in. I remember the Super Bowl commercial. I remember waiting to see it. Um, I think it just does a great job of making these really funny, quirky uh Big world. It, it falls off a little bit in the second half, but uh, July second, nineteen ninety seven. Do you guys know what song was ruling the charts then? The Men in Black song. No, <laughs> no, close. Was it? Was it a? Was it a Backstreet Boys song? Close. Uh, Mbop. Just getting jiggy with it. Mbop had just I'm fallen Mbop. off, but it's, it's "I'll nice. Be Missing You" by Puffy and Faith Evans. July second, nineteen ninety seven. When Men in Black came out. Good song. There you go. Good song. Great message. Uh, okay, so the 2000s. Quick overview. You had the Fast and the Furious movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, Nolan's first two Batman, Iron Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, you know, Dan, you mentioned Gladiator. I saw that in a lot of uh, internet lists. I never really considered that to be a blockbuster, but I guess it does fit in a lot of ways. Transformers, Borns. Uh, this is also when some Pixar movies, I feel like, slid their way into blockbuster territory. Uh, Esther, what do you think? 2000s blockbusters like honestly if we're talking about i i'm just gonna dump for this movie because i love it so much i made john rewatch it (laughs) recently but like it is like if we're talking about like it's in the super ho genre but it's really good i'm gonna say just i'm just gonna talk about spider-man 2 because i really love spider-man oh i love spider-man 2 i think dan (laughs) i think we've talked about this before it's probably my favorite superhero movie yeah i think it's probably my favorite it's definitely my favorite superhero movie. Um, Fantastic. I, I think, like, I think the 2000s, the 2000s are sort of hard for me to just, like, make a pick on because I do think it's, like, really, there are, there's a lot of stuff. I think it's, like, a really, 
you know, I think some summer movies that I have like fond memories of like going to see in the 2000s would honestly be like everything from like, you know, I have this really like heartwarming memory of going to see again, we can debate this because it's like a small backdoor blockbuster, but like going to see Legally Blonde or The Princess mm-hmm. Diaries or The Devil Wears Prada mm-hmm. or like, you know, any of the sort of comedies that came out in 2003, I was like, the biggest fan in the world for the first Pirates of the Caribbean, like, oh yeah, Curse the Black Girl, fucking loved it. You know, like, yeah. could you know, can't couldn't get enough of it. Was so excited to see the sequel, and then it sort of sucks. Like, I, you know, that those experiences really define this era for me. Though, but like, I don't know if we're talking about like something that came out then that like is my like favorite. Like, I love Spider Man too, so that's what I'm gonna go with. Yeah, you know, I remember, I think one of the best movie-going experiences of my life was seeing Pirates of the Caribbean for the first time, because I came in with almost no expectations, Yeah, and um, I remember my brother took me to see it, and just leaving, being like, this this movie was fucking awesome, so I'm totally with you there. Uh, Dan, what about you, your 2000s? I also have a weirdly specific memory of going to see the sequel at, like, a mid night screening that I think ended up starting at 1am for some reason and just like trying to stay awake at 3 in the morning <laughs> as like that like two and a half hour movie played right. and like Jeffrey Rush just like having his weird or he's not in the second one but what are the weird squid beard guy like kind of Is falling asleep yeah. yeah falling asleep and waking up and the squid beard guy was still on screen and being like oh my god it's like 3.30 in the morning why am I still watching this um, but yeah no that would not be my pick um, my pick for the 2000s is um i'm just gonna have to go with my favorite yeah which is uh miami vice okay yeah this is a you have to uh, just kind of go with your gut and my gut uh says miami vice which is uh michael mann's uh sort of remake of his uh 80s tv show um with colin farrell and jamie fox it came out in july so it is a summer blockbuster i mean i i mean it's, I think it's reflective of this period a little bit because there's like kind of like a, like it was, we were talking about earlier the nineties being a little bit more like clever and irony soaked and like the two thousands, I think there is kind of like a return to sort of like a kind of like grimness to some of these movies that I don't know if you want to make the argument, you can talk about being like, okay, I don't know, like an Iraq war thing or like a Bush thing or something, mm-hmm. but there's sort of this, like, um, you know, obviously the dark Knight being the best, the biggest example of that. Um, but yeah, Miami Vice basically takes this like cop show and turns it into this very like really beautiful kind of like brooding, stylish action movie with like audio slave songs in it. <laughs> um, and I don't know, it's a uh, it's when I think about this period, that's probably just like my favorite of those types of movies. And again, I remember going to see it and not really knowing that much about it and just being kind of totally uh, taken by it. It's sort of strangeness. You, know, you mentioned the, the, the Nolan Batman movies and it's like I had to think of like a defining like 2000s like it's sort of the end of the 2000s but like experience of going to see like a summer blockbuster it would definitely have to be like the Dark Knight um, just like the, the the fervor around like seeing the Dark Knight in theaters was just like so palpable and so in a way that like I feel like is very hard to replicate. No I agree with you there I'll, I'll jump ahead of John real quick and I'll, I'll say that's it's it's pretty basic but that is my pick, I remember seeing it at midnight. I remember being blown away. July 18th, 2008. You know what song rolled the chart July 18th, 2008? <laughs> I do not. I do not. Katy Perry, I Kissed a Girl. Remember that? It, it went for many, wow. many weeks. Taking the Crown from Coldplay's Generational Ballad. 
Viva La Vida, which was previously number one. Um, okay, John, your favorite 2000s blockbuster. So there's a lot of stuff from the 2000s, obviously. But when I think of the 2000s, I think mostly about IP. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking sequels. I'm thinking lots of sequels. There's also Pixar, which is, you know, I, there's not as many sequels um, traditionally, but there was like a Cars 7. Yeah. Um, Cars 30, 33. But I'm going to go with, uh, guess what I'm going to pick. John. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. This is all a convoluted way to say that. Of course, I'm going to go with the Dark Knight. Okay. The yeah. Dark Knight is the only. Wait, only what? what? Yeah. I talked myself around in circles. I was originally going to the first Spider-Man movie. To me, is like the perfect example of like how everything moved into IP and and in a good way because the special effects have actually kind of finally like caught up with the ideas and the properties of of, of things. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I should just go with that. That the third Matrix movie, which is the only one that came out in the summer, uh, just to be contrarian, even though I don't really like that movie too much. Um, but then, you know, come on, The Dark Knight. It's just so good. All right, we need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more summer blockbusters. <music> 2010s. Um, so... He's off with Inception. We have a ton of Marvel movies, Jurassic World movies, uh, which I, I haven't seen any of those. Uh, do you think it's weird to say, Sellers, that the blockbuster movie, in one sense, has never been bigger, but also it's never really been as boring? Everything kind of blurs together. Um, even parsing through the lists of the highest grossing movies, it's all these big franchises. Do you think that the blockbuster got kind of stale in the 2010s? I think it goes back to what Esther was saying in the beginning of it's, it's just become summer blockbuster season is almost like an endless, uh, it's, it's basically like, it's an endless cycle. It's always summer somewhere. Um, and you know, you, you know, you look at the fast and the furious movies, they don't, they don't really come out in the summer. They usually come out in like April, uh, I believe. Um, but, those are class. Those are just like, especially the sequels. There's classic uh, summer type blockbuster, and you know, so you have to expand the time frame. And also, I just want to say, like I mentioned, Endgame, like as something that people got out of the way for. Like that came out in the end of April. You know, not sort of your traditional, yeah. you know, blockbuster season, but like summer blockbuster season. But like basically. Endgame, like, got rid of the months of May in terms of, like, other stuff. Like, other stuff new for the entire, like, coming months. Like, they were not really going to, like, compete with that. Um, so that's sort of what you're dealing with now. Yeah, Esther, you mentioned uh, Fury Road before. Uh, is that yeah. what you would say your favorite blockbuster from the 2010s is? Um, honestly, like, if we're talking, yeah. I mean, like, I think that in terms of summer movie from the 2010s like I think nothing like replicates the experience mm-hmm. of being Fury Road like because just because it is it does like hit all those buttons that we were talking about just in terms of like you know there is this element of spectacle to it like it is it was hugely financially successful and yet like even though it was based on previously existing IP like it felt 
so new and revolutionary and just like heart in your throat. But like mm. you look at something like a movie that I really love that like like Edge of Tomorrow, which yeah. is you know came out in May May 2014, did not do well. Was marketed terribly awesome movie you know hits all the buttons that like you sort of want for a summer blockbuster but just like didn't hit the same way awesome movie you know it's just like it's sort of the the era is really it's really hard to define because it is so sort of like diffused across like all this you know all this time so yeah that's 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 sort of where i'd go that's what i'd say i mean i think another one if we're talking about like again and then if we want to sort of hit the comedy thing you know like Bridesmaids, sure. it's actually that came out end of April, but like, um, you know, the, 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 you know, when it, when it was not just when an Apatow movie like sort of could sort of like hit in the summer and become like this little, you know, moment. So yeah. It was definitely, but, yeah, I'm going to say That's yeah. what I'm going to say. Dan, what do you think here? Yeah, I, 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 honestly, I struggled with this decade. I think for a lot of the reasons Esther was kind of, uh, saying and explaining about, um, yeah, I mean, you, you see the Marvel movies kind of take over, and then you see a lot of things try to mimic the serialization of those, often mm-hmm. unsuccessfully. You know, like, I'm thinking of that, like, very bad Tom Cruise, the mummy movie, <laughs> which uh, tried to set up, you know, the dark universe or whatever. You know, like, there's just this effort to try to, like, replicate that sort of uh, model, and it doesn't always work. Um, I... Yeah, I'm just going to go with Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, I think, honestly, it's like from this period, it's like it's Mad Max Fury Road or it's Edge of Tomorrow. Those are the two most, like, uh, I don't know, top of mind summer blockbusters of this period. Um, And, yeah, Edge of Tomorrow, I think, is also a good, like, just metaphor for this period because it's all about just seeing the same thing over and over again. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I don't know. It it also just has two really fun sort of classic movie star performances from Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise and... Uh, yeah, I know. It's just a very clever, uh, well-executed movie. It's funny. I've never seen Edge of Tomorrow, but I, I think like two or three times in the past month, people have recommended it to me. So um, I think yeah, that, it, it really flew under the radar, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. It like totally, you know, so the Tom Cruise movies that are hitting still are like in there, like Fallout and Rogue Nation, which like rules still, like those movies are so good. But, um, you know, but that movie just didn't hit. It was terrible title. They tried to, they've tried to remake it over the years. Like, um, I think it was like, you know, it's DVD came out and, and it was titled like live, die, repeat. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. John, what is your 2010s pick? Is it Mad Max? I mean, I could just say that because, uh, I, it's a great movie. Right. Um, I'm, I, I, you know, I, the two picks I have, I've written down here. Uh, one I will get booed for, possibly, and that's what I'm going to go with. But the other <laughs> one I just want to bring up as being yeah. something just to just so we talk about it for two seconds. Prometheus. Okay. <laughs> what yeah, is Prometheus rules? I mean, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, the one I'm going to go with is Inception. Okay. I just is that the one you thought you were going to get booed for? Okay, because you you asked for it, you wanted to be booed. So. I did. I, did. I think I thought I was going to get booed because I also picked two Nolan films. Mm. Um, I was going to say lame to pick two Nolan films. How uncreative! But like, well, that allows us to talk about Tenet too. So 
That's actually what I was trying to move us toward because we need to discuss why there are no blockbusters this year. Exactly. But, well, you know, <laughs> there's a there's a pretty good reason why there are no blockbusters this year, but that is true. Um, <laughs> it is a pandemic. <laughs> um, Wait, what? In a world where no one can see movies or podcast people <laughs> went and saw Tenet. The movie about palindromes uh, by Christopher Nolan. So, you know, that is a movie that is was touted previously as one of the biggest blockbusters of this summer. What is its status right now as we talk on, you know, the week of July 7th? It is apparently coming out in August, but I don't think that's the case. You don't? It is apparently coming out August 12th. I mean, like, no. Like, yeah. it needs... Like movie theaters need to reopen, which they aren't even in New York where like we are over our, you know, we have, um, we have our, we are over our curve in terms of where we are with COVID and, um, you know, no one's opening indoor dining or movie theaters yet. Um, and the rest of the country is now still like in the middle of their curves. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the idea that, this movie is going to open in August is highly unlikely to me. Um, but you know, it's this, all the inside report is just like push and pull because like Nolan wants it to come out, um, you know, in theaters. Um, he's a big believer in the theatrical experience, but you know, no, I don't know. Like, I'm not like, I think we've talked about it. Like we're not like, we love movies. We're movie critics and writers. And like, we're not going unless it's like safe, you know? Yeah, can uh, I, how much would you pay? Will? how much would you pay to uh, see a movie like that in at home? I would probably pay. Well, let's see, you know, if, if I was going out with, you know, with, with my partner or my girlfriend or whatever, I would pay, you know, like 40 bucks. I would pay 40 bucks to see it at home because I think, you know, you pay just about that much at a, at a theater, right? Yeah. How about you? Yep. I would probably pay a hundred. Pay a hundred. I mean, yeah. Think about like a pay-per-view boxing or MMA batch. Some of those are, you know, 80 to a hundred bucks. And I, I think people would pay that. Like I, I would only pay. I would only pay it for a movie like that, where right. I know that if I couldn't get to the theater, I might not ever see it because I would just be annoyed that the entire movie was spoiled for me. Right. And, you know, Dan, do you think that's something that might end up happening, uh, you know, post... With this particular movie? Post-pandemic. Yeah, maybe with this particular movie, but also just, you know, some yeah. of these blockbusters in general. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll happen with Tenet. I mean, we've already seen, though, uh, Universal shift a lot of their releases and released them on VOD this summer. So, I mean, it is kind of an interesting moment. Um, obviously, like King of Staten Island, the Pete Davidson movie, mm -hmm. um, Trolls World Tour. Um, Woo! Trolls World Tour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so there, there have been shifts, and I think that's an ongoing conversation that a lot of these studios are going to be having about, like, whether or not they can make money off of doing that. But I think, especially when we're talking about these big scale, you know, 150, $200 million movies, like they need theaters to be part of that uh, equation for them to, well, movies to make sense as like financial investments. Mm -hmm. They also need like, glo like global box office. Like you look at something yeah. like Mulan, which was supposed to come out like, in early March or late March, the, the, around the time of, you know, when everything started shutting down and, you know, that, it, that initially got pushed to July. Now it's being pushed. Now it's, 
um, I believe it's pushed again till August. You know, people have been talking about online, like, is Mulan something that Disney would release on Disney Plus? And it's like, mm. no, because the blockbuster Mulan is supposed to be like a huge global hit. Like it has global stars. It's, you know, the Chinese box office is very important to the success of a lot of these movies. Like Mulan is something that's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to make so much money that, you know, based on what their investment in it, in it is, that, like, it, it just doesn't make financial sense for them to release it at home, to, like, throw it on Disney Plus the way they flew, the way they put, like, the Hamilton, you know, movie mm-hmm. on Disney Plus. Yeah, I, just um, have, I have tons of respect for, for um, the way that they pushed Fast and the, the next Fast and the Furious a yeah. year. Like, they did that really quickly and early. And to me, that's exactly what Esther is saying is that that movie is going to make tons of money, not just here, but all over the world. Right. And so it's just really important for them. You know, they, and they could make zero money this year and next year that movie will come out and probably, you know, right. save them. So yeah. that's that to me, like, that's the reason that a lot of these movies could be pushed and probably should be pushed. But I mean, the first huge movie to push was it, it was due in April, but it was the, the latest Bond movie. But like, you know, and yeah. when you look at that, you look at something like that is from, that is being released like in partnership with universal, but like it is MGM it releases Bond now. Um, and like basically Bond needs to do well globally for like MGM to survive, basically. So yeah. you know, it makes sense. They they pushed it to November, and at this and frankly, like who knows? November, we don't know yet. Yeah. But like, seems bad. Probably not. But like, you know, they did that. They were the first ones to sort of say, like, hold on a second. Like, this, you know, we can't release the movie in April, and like half of the world is like not going to be going to movies. And at that point, we all thought, like, oh wow, that seems like intense, but. No, like, right now. Yeah, we do. We do have one. We do have one big blockbuster that's about to be released in a in a non traditional way, which is the new way, I think, and that is uh, the Netflix way. Okay. Um, uh, the old guard, Charlize Theron action yeah. uh, movie. Uh, I feel like that is a traditional style of blockbuster. Totally. It's just going to be on Netflix. I also wonder, like, the old guard is something that, like, Netflix had in that. Like, I was wondering if they were trying to do any sort of, like, theatrical release for it that they've now sort of, you know, decided, like, let's right. hold off on them. But it's it's really good. It's it's by Gina Pr- Prince-Bicewood, who um, made uh, Love and Basketball and Beyond the Lights. So this is sort of, like, a change of mode for her. But, like, it's, it's, a, it's great fun. Um, you know, future of the blockbuster might be a little uncertain, but... We have, what, 40-plus years of old blockbusters that we were talking about to enjoy while we're at home. Um, maybe in the future, uh, some four-year-old will be watching a blockbuster in their living room, and they won't, want, they won't have to run out to the lobby like young John Sellers was. They could just run up to their room in their own house. And that would be nice for everyone. Right. Most definitely. <laughs> uh, okay, this was awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for your time. Really quick, as we always do, do you want to go around... And tell the people out there where they can find your words on Thrillist. Uh, Esther. Um, it's my name, Esther Zuckerman. Thrillist.com. <laughs> I'm at Rights on Twitter. Yes, Dan. Yep. Now you can read me on Thrillist. And I'm Daniel V. Jackson on Twitter. And yeah, that's it. John, do you want people to find you? Sure. This time, yes. Okay. I am John Sellers in real life, and I'm also John Sellers on Twitter, so you, could, you can go there. 
I'm probably John Sellers in other places, but there's many John Sellers, but I'm definitely John Sellers on Twitter and in real life. I like it. This is my favorite part, just hearing you guys uh, talk about your Twitter accounts. All right, this was great. Um, I'm going to watch Edge of Tomorrow based on your recommendations. But yeah, thanks so much, guys. This was fun. Yeah, thanks. Bye. For fun. Bye, guys. All right, big thanks to the entire Thrills podcast team, Megan Kirsch, Jim D'Amico, Mia Fask, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudor, and Dan Byrne, who edited and mixed this episode and treated it like his very own blockbuster. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. Stay strong out there, people. What